Joshua Broom was in the adult film industry and one of its top performers, we're talking about the porn industry, for six years. And then God saved him, redeemed him, washed him in his blood. He's white as snow, and now he's one of the top voices against the sexually charged nature of our culture, which never remains neutral. It will always target the family, children, as a way to destroy that which God declared precious and that which God put his people on the front lines in order to exercise dominion, to promote his values, and to protect the fatherless, to protect children, those, if you haven't noticed, who have become the number one targets of our culture of death today. Joshua Broom joins me today to tell his story, to awaken you to act in this moment. Buckle up, you're in for a treat. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. Before we jump in, we want to thank our sponsor of Unaborted here. That is Every Life Diapers. This is America's pro-life diaper company. Did you guys know? I, I've, I've been telling you this, but like you gotta, you gotta tell all your friends about this. This is crazy. Every major diaper company in America, all eight of them, either financially support or rhetorically support the abortion industry. Some of them were putting out ads when Roe v. Wade got overturned, offering to pay for their employees to like fly to states where abortion was more accessible to kill their children. That's a weird la-la land stuff right there. Pro-life diaper company, Every Life. The only pro-life diaper company in America. And guess what? They give a portion of their profits back to pro-life ministries like ours at the White Rose Resistance and pregnancy resource centers all around America. Listen, you can't defeat a culture of death by funding a culture of death. If you want to build a culture of life, you've got to fund that culture of life and be a steward of the of the funds God's given you. So you use code SETH10. That's SETH10. You get 10% off your first order. Let them know that we sent you uh, and you're supporting our ministry and you're funding a culture of life. Promo code SETH10, everylife.com, everylife.com. Dot com every life the only pro-life diaper company in america joshua welcome to the show brother hey man glad to be here <laughs> yeah thank you so we're here today for the turning point usa faith pastors summit yeah um which was co-founded by charlie kirk and and my pastor rob mccoy and just brings together such incredible people that yeah. i think a lot of people in the church sometimes have not heard of before sure because as you and i know a lot of the churches in yeah. america pulpits, <laughs> they don't want to talk about issues that might be edgy yeah. that might drive away some of their congregants and obviously porn yeah. would be one of those my goodness yeah. tell us the stats i want i want you to tell your story joshua but tell yeah. us the stats because i've read some of them um how pervasive yeah is this thing called porn actually even in the church in america today yeah well to your point so the totality of it, you're talking about a $100 billion industry that's fueled by viewership. So it's monetized through viewership. Any uh, any monetization strategy you see on social media, it's straight from the pornography industry. So MindGeek specifically, like anything you'll see on YouTube's, uh, you know, Facebook, Instagram, anything that's monetized, it, that strategy, it was yeah. implemented and, and taken from what porn has been doing for a long time. So the, you're saying they were the first to do it? Oh, yes. Like any kind of like you know, technology or any kind of advancement in that realm, it's like they're at the first in the forefront. I mean, you're talking a hundred billion dollar industry and you what know, else, the, what else is that size of an industry? Not, I mean, nothing. So, I mean, you're talking, when you're, we're talking about revenue, uh, NBA 
uh, NFL, Major League Baseball all combined are less than are less than that. Uh, and then regarding viewership, gosh. between 32 and 35 percent of all the data transferred on the internet on a daily basis is pornography. Uh, and then just to make you know make it practical, oh you take everyone that visits uh, Twitter. Amazon and Hulu combine them all and that's how much people are watching porn on a daily basis and what's scary about that is just three years ago average age of exposure first time exposure 11 years old now it's eight years old yeah I heard because that of, eight yeah I mean and it, a lot of it has to do with legislation because on Twitter um, there's there's legislation around marketing that's you know decades old where they made these laws about you know, you could run these advertisements regarding marketing. You can run these uh -huh. advertisements like, okay, what's the average age of consent? You know, what's the age of consent for marketing? Right. They decided on 13. Little did we know that there is going to be marketing of pornography to these 13-year-olds. Yeah. And uh, yep. it's it's crazy. I mean, 84% uh, of kids that see porn for the first time, it's incidental, meaning that either someone showed it to them or right. – they were just scrolling, looking for something. They they were on a smart device that was, you know that wasn't locked down. And it there it was. It didn't have a VPN on it. Yeah. And you know it's it's everywhere. It's ubiquitous. Yeah. Um, I always thought that that was kind of the point. Right. Right. I mean, it, it, you even you know you, you look at it's been around forever. Like sexual morality has been around forever, but it's the the accessibility yep. is exponentially increased. It's, like it's you look newer. at Corinth, you look at. You know, Ephesus, th these things have existed since, you know, the beginning yeah. of time, but yeah. the accessibility and the ability to, you know, access it and be discreet at the same time. So yeah. to your point, you asked me how prevalent it is in the church, very, yeah. and uh, it's, it's a taboo subject that the enemy has used, you know, his tactics yeah. where, uh, you know, guilt and shame has caused us to hide from being honest with one another and everyone's struggling with it, but no yeah. one wants to say anything about it. So guilt and shame just keeps you trapped. Just compresses. And then yeah. when you when you hide the sin, it, it grows. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and then that's why we see you know pastors falling. We see yep. uh, pedophilia on the rise. We see divorce on the rise. Yep. And uh, I think it's an identity crisis at, yep. at its nucleus. But pornography is contributing to it in a very real way. Yeah. Yep. Thank you, Joshua. Well. Um, I told you before, you know, we were hanging out right now that, uh, you know, this has largely been a, a pro-life podcast, but for yeah. the last couple of years, I've been just talking about a lot more and sure. I, and I, I research and study a lot about just our culture, how we got here, yeah. ideas, ideologies, worldviews, and you start to see how interconnected so much of this is yeah. that you can't talk about like abortion right. actually without talking about pornography yeah. and our sexualized culture like so much of this actually goes hand in hand they're part of the same project in well, a yeah. way if you will i i say if you study the old testament i think you'll agree with this joshua that child sacrifice is the conclusion of the sexual revolution sure um you sexualize a community they end up murdering their children that yeah. seems to just be like one of the truisms yeah and so i haven't talked um a ton about pornography on this podcast though i talk a lot about our the sexual revolution and sure. a lot of the stuff goes together. But I mean, if you're listening to this, I mean, let's just be honest, like, you know, the men in this room right now, myself, if yeah. you're listening to this, everyone struggled with porn. Everyone's sure. been exposed to it. Most yeah. men who tell you they've never struggled with it are probably lying to you. Right. And praise God. I mean, I, it's, you know, I, I haven't had an issue since before I was, uh, had kids. Yeah. But I mean, like, 
I think these conversations help free people. Yeah. Um, because then they know that like, oh, I'm not like some weirdo. I'm not some. Yeah. I mean, you know, maybe I'm a creep. Maybe we're all creeps, but yeah. at least I'm not like a solo creep. Yeah. But like I at mean, least at least there's grace for everyone. So yeah. that's why I wanted you. Yeah. Joshua, I wanted you to bless people like like yeah. tell us your story, man. You yeah. Because look, look at how God's using you today. But maybe take us to Hollywood. I don't know where yeah. you want to start, but but take us to where this kind of began. Yeah, I mean, uh, just kind of to weave everything together. Please. Um, so I grew up in a small town in South Carolina. Okay. And the town was so small that you knew everyone. And my mom had me at a very young age. She was, she got pregnant with me at 15, had me at 16, could have very um, easily chose not to have me, but that was not a choice in our home. Mm. And uh, she chose to, you know, as a kid, to have a kid. And wow. what was problematic in my life, um, and it just, it, it contributed to a lot of things, but not, my dad was never in my home or in my life, but he was in close enough proximity where I would see him. I'd see him at the grocery store, see him at, and it was one grocery store, oh, wow. one gas station, you know, so uh, I would see him. And as a kid, it was confusing. As I got older, it became wow. frustrating. And it made me believe I was inadequate. That's painful. And then, you know, just having this high achiever personality, it's like, I've got to man up. You know, I've got yeah, to overcome. Yeah. Yeah. And through accomplishments, sure. which equates to affirmation, I believed, well, I could out-achieve the pain that I had in my heart. Yeah. And that started with scholastics and then sports. Um, and then I started modeling and acting when I was like 13, 14 and that was like my new drug of choice, meaning that, you know, I, yeah. I would get the job or get the role or, or, or whatever it was. And that would give me that dopamine Worth, hit. It yeah. would make me feel good for a moment, but then reality would set in. And uh, that continued into college. I was studying theater in college for a while. And then I thought, okay, I want to be in this industry. And mm -hmm. it makes sense for me to be closer to it. So I drop out of college, moved to Hollywood and... Unlike a lot of people, I actually landed an agent like, you know, within a week of me being out there, um, started going on auditions. Wow. Uh, I was more passionate about acting than I was modeling, but I, it seemed like more modeling jobs was coming my way. So uh, no argument, you know, about money coming sure. in. Um, but again, uh, being in a circle, I was just like, hey, uh, I, I'm not as successful as my peers, so I need to right. do more. So I'm trying to live far beyond my means. And that sure. landed me with you know, having to get another job to kind of mit mitigate my expenses. And I'm working at this uh, like bar slash steakhouse or whatever, where they don't take resumes, they take headshots, you know, okay. and uh, <laughs> sure. I'm, I'm, I'm out there in that place. And then I, these three girls walk in this table and um, they said, Hey, do you have your thought about acting? And I was like, yes. Uh, you know, they're going to introduce me to a casting agent or they're working on a project because that's often how you get your you know first break. Sure. Um, but they were talking about pornography. Yeah. And for me, I saw porn for the first time when I was 13. I was very promiscuous through high school and college. So someone paying me to have sex and there being a video camera there, it was like, well, that's not a career that I want to pursue. Um, it's not, it's not anything I've ever thought of, but at the same time, when you expose yourself to certain things or you're exposed to it, you, you don't react a way that someone would have if yeah. they've not been exposed to it because it, you know, you, you develop an appetite for something and, yep. you know, I was just like kind of in that place where they're like, Hey, um, we want to introduce you to our agent. And they were using language that kind of made sense to me. Like, okay, agent, like it seems sketchy, but you said agent. <laughs> And then I'm thinking you're going to go to this, like, 
I'm going to meet this agent in like, uh, you know, like a Motel 6 or something, and he's going to like be picking lint out of his belly button or something weird. But I go oh, to no, this. No, I bet it was very clean and but, but actually, very alluring. It was, well, yeah. So, I mean, so you're, I go to this like very nice like business studio like in, you know, Studio City. It's adjacent to uh, Universal Studios. Wow. Walk in, you know, there's, there's Bentleys and Beamers in the garage and go up this elevator and... Um, this guy, he's English guy, shaved head, you know, three piece suit, big fat double Windsor uh, <laughs> knot, and uh, he's, you know, hey, w- what what are you doing out here? You know, I, w- I want to know uh, how'd you grow up, um, what what are you doing here in L.A. and what you hope to accomplish. And in retrospect, very manipulative, wow. you know, really? ammunition that I gave him. I'm like, I grew up in a broken home, you know, wow. I. I I grew up just so he, pretty much me and my looking, mom. He's like yeah. the industry obviously looks for this stuff. Well, sure. It's like yeah, I grew up just me and my mom. I'm here in LA. I I, I want to act, um, and I guess yeah. I want to be famous. And it's so funny in retrospect when I say that because mm. I did say I wanted to be famous, and in my head I wanted to be famous. But no one mm. wants to be famous. Like that's not a goal to have. You know that that's right. like that's a as a plausible reality that you based. You're basing something on like maybe you want to be successful, uh, you want to have a successful career in acting, you want to pursue this, mm. but for someone to say they want to be famous is like I want to be seen, right? I want to be known. Mm. I, I I have uh, a gap in my heart that I want to maybe fill it with that. Yeah. You know, if I have enough followers or if enough people applaud mm. me, I'll feel a certain way. So you're really searching for a feeling. You're not searching to be famous. Wow. But. I, I have this conversation with me and he promises me I'll make you famous and, and all this stuff and I what do What year was this, Joshua? Two thousand six. Okay. Two thousand six. So I, I do I do one thinking like what what harm could it it do and very quickly it just absolutely ruined my life. So I, I do this one film, it goes viral. So viral for two thousand six, like like five hundred thousand views. And very quickly, my agent finds out, and it's like, well, you know, it's very clear in this contract that you know, if you do something outside of something that we would want to align ourselves with, we can't represent you. So we wish you the best of luck, but we we can't be associated with that. And then very quickly, wow. again, growing up in a small town, my mom, you know, word word travels fast, so my mm-hmm. mom's calling me. Wow, it's like. Um, you oh, know, wow. like Joshua Luke, you know, in the, in the South, you know, if like oh. the more of your name you use, the more <laughs> trouble you're in. Yeah. Um, but it's like, Joshua Luke, did you do that? And it's, and it's just, I'm having this like humiliating conversation with my mom. And then when you do like everyone, you know, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe not to that extent, but everyone, uh, you know, you, you fall flat at some point, you, you screw up, you do something you shouldn't have done, or maybe a job ends or relationship ends and you're in this crossroad. And it's so easy to allow that circumstance to dictate what you do next. Yeah. Especially if you've compromised. It's so much easier to, com- to continue compromising Again, yeah. than to, the, the reality was. Hmm. I said to myself, well, because I did one, this is who I am, and there's nothing else I can do. I might as well continue doing it, which is not true. Hmm. But that's the dangerous thing about a lie. Yeah. If you believe a lie to be true, it's true to you. And you create a worldview out of it. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. Wow. So I mean, that's Isn't so that that's true. What, yeah. So that's what I did. So it's like, well, I might as well continue doing it. So it was just jumping the deep end. After yeah. That. But for me, it's like if I'm eating, if I'm eating chicken wings, or if I'm playing basketball, or if I'm, you know, you know, playing Paw Patrols with my my kid, like whatever it is, it's like, you know, it's, it's got to be the best. I gotta, you know, a hundred percent is all I know. So it's like, okay, well, 
if I'm going to be in this industry, I'm going to become the most successful person in that industry. And I did that. So I was in the industry for six years, mm. you know, 18 awards, made over a million dollars, did all these things. But I share that because so many people believe if you had something, you would feel something. Right. If I make enough money, my heart wouldn't hurt anymore. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't have this father wound. It would just go away. It wouldn't matter. Yeah. I didn't have a dad. It wouldn't matter that I feel inadequate, that those things would just go away. And it actually ended up amplifying my anxiety, deepened my depression to the point where I found out I won Performer of the Year, which is the, the, the biggest award you can win in that industry. And I thought if I won that award, it's like everyone in the industry voted, I was the best, I'm the guy, and it did nothing. Yeah. And then I, I very quickly, about six months later, I made a plan to take my life. Wow. And um, on the day I was going to take my life, I, I, you know, often when you're in that place, you'll make a kind of a deal. It's like, if this happens, I'll do it. Mm -hmm. Or if this doesn't happen, I won't. So I had a check okay. and uh, I just got back from Atlanta, flew in LAX. I was making the plan in my head. I, I set up you know, what I was going to do. And I, I had this check. And on the, on the memo of the check, it said like the title of the movie, which is always like grotesque. And I thought, okay, normally I would just go Dropbox or ATM because I didn't want to hand someone a check. It's like I'm, I'm a prostitute, sure. you know. It, you know, it's like, um, yeah. but this this time I wanted to do it because I thought, you know, it was almost like a masochistic act where mm -hmm. it's like if I hand this person this check, they're going to like give me this like snarky look or they're going to say something to me. Wow. And that's going to be the thing that pushed me over the edge. And instead, this person looks me in the eye and saw me broken and trembling and said joshua are you okay wow joshua can i can i do something for you and the person was going to cash uh deposit yeah, yeah i'm just a teller wow. what she didn't know is that it'd been over a year since i had heard my name because oh, you go right. by a pseudonym in that industry which yeah. should you know if, if the first thing you do is choose a name to cover up your name what does that say about the industry for everyone that says, I, I love my job that's in the industry? I, I love you, but no, you don't, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, Whoa. But I hadn't heard my name in, it in over a year because the, the way accountability works is, you know, you would call me, call me out and call me up. And if you said, hey, man, uh, you're doing something that doesn't align with who, who I know you to be. Mm -hmm. I, I have two choices. I either push you away or I say you're right and I make a change. But mm -hmm. I pushed everybody away. My mom, my brother, uh, my fraternity brothers that um, that were really like doing a, a, a good job of speaking into my life. They mm -hmm. taught me how to tie a tie and like all these things that because um, I didn't have any uh, role right. models that were, were men. And, you know, uh, I, I do all this stuff, but. Yeah, so I hadn't heard my I hadn't heard my name in a, in a year. From a bank teller, and this bank teller says my name, and so instead of taking my life, I run for my life, and I'll speed the story up. But uh, two years go by. I'm working at a gym. Again, same thing. If I'm gonna be a trainer, I'm gonna become the best. You know, so I had the I had the financial you know ability to do so. So I got every certification under the sun. So you're still trying you know? to fill something. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like I'm like the like I'm knowing nutrition, gymnastics, like all these things. You know. Mm. Um, and still I'm being successful in that industry, but still I'm like at, at night I'm broken and I'm looking over my shoulder everywhere I go because hmm. I cover up my tattoos, delete my social media, shave my head, believing like an idiot that while those thousand pornographic films that are partitioned into a hundred thousand pieces of content, they're just going to go away. 
everywhere I went. Aren't you that guy? Uh, Aren't you that guy? And it doesn't happen as much anymore. But you know, eleven years ago when I got out of the industry, I I just always it was on Showtime. I won like I was the guy, you know. Wow. So it sucked. Yeah. Because I just wanted to not be that person, Mm. and everyone kept reminding me I was. Yeah. And then you know I'd get new personal training clients, and it was just like it was a matter of time before they Googled me. Oh wow! And um, just because it's just someone you do, it's like you know, like who are they on social media? Like what what you know what information can I find out about them? And it's like a lot, yeah, you know. Yeah. yeah. And um, about two years of that goes by. This this pretty girl walks into the gym, and I ask her out on a date, and she she shuts me down. She's like, I'm not interested. And I was like, I'm in love, you know, rejection, <laughs> you know, I'm in love. And uh, she agrees to go on a, on a run with me and I meet her and I'm just like, man, I just keep like burning like person after person after person because, I, you know, sometimes lying to someone's face and withholding the truth hurts equally. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of mm-hmm. the, the relationships I was having, I was withholding a lot of information. It would find out and I would just deal with it when it would come out. And I'm like, man, I'm not going to hurt this person. It's almost like I heard my mom's voice in my head, like, boy, don't you hurt that girl, <laughs> you know? And so I told her, I'm like, hey, um, you know, I like blacked out. I'm like, here's every bad thing I've ever done. Here's a case for how bad of a person I am. Mm-hmm. And she was pretty shocked. She was pretty shocked at what she heard. And then all of a sudden she got this like really serious look on her face and said, well, I want you to know a, a person's not defined by the worst thing they've ever done. And they're not defined by the greatest thing they'll ever do. God defines who a person is. There's, he's the creator of all things, and he is the author of your story, not you. Yeah. And I was like, Whoa. wow. She's like, well, do you know who God is? And I was like, you know, all I knew is that I didn't know who I was, but I was great at putting on the first date mask. And I'm like, I don't know who I am, but I'm going to be whoever you want me to be. So I'm like, yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, you know, cosmological <laughs> argument, like, yes. Like, what What do you want to know? And she was like, well, what's your relationship with Jesus like? Like, where, like, where do you do life, you know, with people? Like, are you plugged into a church anywhere? And I was like, you might as well be speaking another language. I was like, I was like you got me. I was like, I, 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 what if, if you, wow. what you're asking me is that, I don't have that. Mm. She's like, well, I've been following Jesus since I was in seventh grade. I'm not perfect by any means. My whole family is Christian, but Jesus is the foundation of my life. And my relationship with him dictates decisions that I make. So what kind of food do you like? <laughs> I was like what? You know, it was like really like a, a, a really great representation of, you know, uh, wow. Ephesians, like uh, uh, Colossians, like four, six, like her, her speech being gracious and seasoned mm. with salt. But how she ought to answer me wow. and the, you know it's it was just crazy mm-hmm. so I was like this is nuts she's asking me about hope my hopes and dreams and I was like I don't really have any you know I'm just trying to <laughs> you know survive and we talked for a week and then she invites me to church and we go to church and uh, I grew up in like um, you know I went to church pretty consistently so I was like eight or nine uh, but it was like fire and brimstone. Like okay, if you okay. got a you know a tattoo on your arm or a wrinkle in your shirt, you're going to hell. You know. And all of a sudden, this guy in a t-shirt and jeans gets up and starts talking about you know his relationship with Jesus. He's the pastor there, and he sounds he sounds and reminds me of my grandfather. And he starts telling this story from Second Samuel about this dynamic between Jonathan and David, 
and uh, historically when, you know, so David was now the new king and, and Jonathan yeah. had died and historically the previous kingdom was wiped out. Everyone was killed because right. they didn't they didn't want the, anyone in the previous kingdom to think they had access to the new kingdom. Right. Um, but David was different. He said, you know, is there anyone left out of uh, Jonathan's lineage? And Mephibosheth was still there. And they go and they find him. And Mephibosheth knew history, and he thought he was going to get killed. <laughs> Instead of extending a spear, David's guard extended his hand and brought him into his kingdom and even restored his land. And then the pastor pivots to, well, you know what? Uh, Romans 3.23 says that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. So guess who's, de- who's guilty? Everyone. You know who's deserving of death? Everybody. Yeah. But guess what? Jesus being fully God and fully man, came into this world, lived a life that you couldn't live, paid the debt that you owed, and he didn't stay dead. After he died on the cross, he rose on the third day, solidifying he is who he claimed to be, Son right. of God, the Messiah. And if you put your faith in him, his righteousness is bestowed upon you. And it's just like everything made sense, and I'm wow. like wrestling with it. But like wow. my dad didn't even want me. Why would God in flesh go to the cross and die for me? And at this point, you know, it's like one of those moments where it's like no one else is there. It's just me and the pastor, you know, even though it was it was a large church in Raleigh, which is like for me, it felt like he was talking directly to me. And then he shares, um, he's like, well, why would Jesus go to the cross? He's with joy set before him. He endured the cross. It was obedience to the father and love for me. So. Uh, the Holy Spirit did something in that wow. moment, and you know there was tears and snot. And when I stood <laughs> up, I um, it relinquished the not the shame of the porn or the fatherlessness, the uh, the belief that I was not worth anything because God in flesh died for me. So that's that's what I was worth to the Father that I was looking for. Yeah. Um, wow. So so that's you know, and, and then that girl that I went on that walk with, that's my wife. <laughs> I you you know. Yeah, so we've been married for seven years. We've got wow. three boys. Um, yeah, but like for me, like the the thing that like kind of fl- flipped the script was like again, I'm all in. And it's like, gosh, uh, if God will redeem all aspects of your life, like Jesus is sovereign and, right. and Lord over everything. Mm-hmm. So if you give Him everything, He'll redeem everything. And and I was like, okay, I'm all in. Yeah. It's like three days after that, I'm like, hey. Um, here's my story. Can you teach me how to read the Bible? You know? And then I, I spent, you know, about three years of spending 15 to 20 hours a week with this guy. And he taught me how to read the Bible. And wow. uh, like, next thing I know, like we're going through like basic biblical Greek with Bill Mounts. And I end up going to Liberty and get a, get an undergrad in Christian ministries. And uh, one of these days I'm going to finish my master's. I'm chipping away at that. But amazing. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been a, it's been a wild ride and God continues to, to open doors for me to share his story and more importantly share the gospel yeah that's right and now you speak all around the country yeah <clears throat> telling your story like you just did yeah. to help break chains and give people the freedom to yeah be honest yeah and to throw off these shackles um yeah that's, that's so what you said is so powerful though, because you're only as free as you're honest mm, yep yep uh i think it is it a uh, is it first john uh joshua where it says um that uh if you can confess your sins, yeah, uh, he's righteous and just, yeah, yeah, to forgive you. But uh, but then I think also James. First John is it James? Maybe it's first. Maybe I'm mixing it up. But um, says uh, that when you do this mm. and then you walk in the light, oh yes, as yes. he is in the light, yeah, then 
you will have fellowship with one another. Yeah. But if but if you're keeping this those areas in the darkness. Yeah. And there's not light there, then yeah. you actually can't have real fellowship. Yeah. Because you're not actually being you. Um, as, as we wind down, Joshua, for the like the young men who yeah. are listening to this, um, maybe the the young wives yeah. who have discovered that their husband has been lying to them. Yeah. And has been hiding addictive pornographic behavior. Yeah. Um, or for the husbands who are still in addiction and lying sure. to their wives. Yeah. Um, what would you say to those listening? Um, what do they need to hear and what would you encourage them? towards if they're still living in bondage yeah fear I mean, and lies yeah i mean I would, well first and foremost like if, if if you're you know if you know jesus romans 8 1 says you know therefore there's no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus so uh shame and guilt uh the things that keep you quiet those things are from the enemy but conviction uh yeah. that, that's from the lord and uh if, if that conviction has gone away like you're, you're you've maybe you've wandered into a really dark place um, but to the wife that maybe is, is mm. you know, uh, found out that uh, their husband is doing this, or, or maybe he's confessed to, um, to doing it, um, set boundaries, but understand, like, gosh, we're, we're called to forgive because we've been forgiven for much. And it's, mm. it's just a, it's a really, really difficult thing to navigate through. But I would say to, if someone had the guts to confess that to you, gosh, they love you. Mm. They love you so much because there's so much shame and guilt, and especially if someone's been struggling with that for you know a half a lifetime. Wow. How much they love you because they want to be free. Yeah. And, and that's the way that you know, wow. it's, it's so important to, as we walk this, this journey, because you know, in a, you're saved in a moment, but sanctification happens over a lifetime and as you you know reach those those new levels of consecration Mm -hmm. there's going to be things in your life that uh, maybe you're you're saved from but you're not free from wow and you know you you could be walking with a limp and not even you know know it yeah because it's it's like you're free but you mentally Mm. you you're still bound you know um and i would say gosh like tell someone hundred yeah. billion dollar industry <laughs> so if don't don't let the enemy trick you into believing that if you confess to someone you trust like tr- if you're if you're a guy or girl uh, confess to the same sex find someone you trust you you've, you've got a buddy you talk about stupid stuff with all the time uh, <laughs> trust that he's either seen porn uh, maybe he struggled with it in the past but if, if he hasn't he's known someone that has yeah and just you know that's step one. Like, I, mean, I would say even back up, like don't justify it. It's an evil industry. It, it contributes to sex trafficking. It contributes to pedophilia. It contributes to rape culture. Yep. 94% of all porn, pornographic um, scenes have some level of violence in it. So you see people doing things that um, are not natural yeah, right. and they're acting them out. Um, Heidi Olson, she's a, a critical care nurse in Kansas City, Missouri. There's hundreds of cases of kids raping their siblings hundreds of cases in one place not all over the world hundreds of cases in one place this happens year after year after year a hundred percent of the time 
the kids are watching pornography and they're acting it out. And that's, I mean, as crazy as that is, it's not surprising. So these are the conversations that the church must have because to your kids, to your kids, you have to answer two questions. If you're not going to have that conversation, why didn't you tell me and why what I heard first is different from what you're saying? Now I have to have to provide an apologetic for someone that's that's the you know wow. what's being propagated in schools. It's insane. Like I was sharing with this earlier. There's yep. there's a church on a mountain in El Salvador where people are starving to death. There's dirt floors. They don't have running water. They have an outhouse. But you know what they do have? They have a book that says. This is why God made you a boy. This is why God made you a girl. They're not running from basic conversations that we're called to have. Yep. You're equipping people with knowledge. And if you That's rob good. them from that, the world's going to educate you. That's, good. That's why like Romans 12, 2 is so important. You're either being conformed by the world, you're being conformed by a screen, you're being conformed by a teacher in a classroom that doesn't care about you, or... We're going to stand on the word of God, and that's going to be the line of the sand that we draw. But I would say uh, to the person struggling, tell someone, and then put some appropriate boundaries in your life. Put a VPN on your phone. Get some accountability. For me, the thing that changed my life was like two practical things. I stopped bringing my phone into my bedroom or bathroom. Simple. If you're a young guy that's struggling with pornography and masturbation, like do something practical. Like Don't put yourself in places where you're going to fall. Yep. Remove the temptation. Um, and what then, do you think about this one? This is what I tell young men, Joshua. I say um, get covenant eyes, and then put your mother-in-law on the accountability yeah. email list. Yeah, absolutely. You like that one? Yeah. That's what I love and, it. And young men laugh at me. I love it. Like but, they think I'm joking, work. and I'm like, oh, you thought I was joking. Yeah. Well, obviously, you're still in bondage, so I actually wasn't joking. You need to right. figure out some radical behavior. Yeah, <laughs> because accountability only works if if you're held accountable by that yeah. person. You know, so it's like for for me, the thing that changed my life that was like my commitment to honesty, hmm. and it's just like this. Uh, we would have me and this guy Andrew Yates is his name to this day. Uh, weekly, we'll have hot conversations, honest, open, transparent. And he's gonna ask me how am I doing emotionally, how am I doing, you know, spiritually, uh, you know, how am I doing physically? Because all these things contribute to your behavior. Right. Because you know, we we are you know what whatever is in our hearts and our heads. That you know the the byproduct of that is that they overflow into our behavior. Mm. So what are, what am I struggling with? What am I frustrated with? You know what am I you know what what am I going through? Um, what did I do? What did I see? How did I feel when I saw it? Yeah. Because at the end of the day, the the solution to the pornography addiction isn't just stop watching porn. I need to get to the root. Why do I say yes mm. to something I I know? You know Romans seven. It's like why do I do the things, things that, that I, I that, that do. I don't want to do. <laughs> Um, but there's a reason. There's there's a trauma. There's a lack. There's something in my life that I need to dig into and in, in, in process. Mm. And then and only then I'm going to be free from the pornography, which is just me medicating yep. the other thing. Wow. Joshua, thank you. Yeah, we're, absolutely. We, uh, we're out of time, unfortunately. Next time I want to have you back on and talk about uh, a line from Augustine, City of God, uh, Libido Dominandi. It means um, sexual liberation as political control. Yeah. Um, that if you can sexualize people and get them to indulge yeah. every animalistic appetite they have, they're very easy to control. Sure. So the sexual revolution becomes a prerequisite for the social revolution. Yeah. So maybe we'll talk about that next time. But, yeah, uh, let's do it. but yeah. Joshua, thank you for telling your story seriously. And if you guys are listening to this, uh, I, hope you, I hope you take him up on what he said. I hope you break free. I hope you're honest. 
yeah. uh, or honest, open, <laughs> transparent. Yeah. Um, but seriously, you need to put your mother-in-law on your accountability email list. Let's yeah. see. Let's see how that uh, if that'll break your uh, your pornography consumption. Yeah. And uh, and then be in community, be in fellowship. But uh, hey, where can people connect with you if they want to learn more about your story, or if you're listening to this and you're a pastor and you're like, whoa. Yeah. I want Joshua to come share this at my church. Yeah, so uh, all my social media across the board is I am Joshua Broom, and my website is joshuabroom.me, so that's where I do all the bookings and all that awesome. stuff. Yeah. Thank you, brother. Yeah, thank Thanks you. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. I <laughs> uh, hope you guys enjoyed that. Head over, over to iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. Give the show a rating and review. <clears throat> Go subscribe at Rumble. We're back on YouTube now <clears throat> that the Thought Police have allowed us to share some things again. But uh, seriously, we might completely be removed someday. So just go subscribe at Rumble. We would appreciate that. Um, and uh, you can follow us on Instagram. If you want to become a member of the White Rose Resistance and an ally to help us rebuild Christian resistance against the culture of death, go to the whiterose.life. Sign up for $35 a month. And we're about to launch our digital circle at the end of September. September. That's our digital community. You're going to get activism, assets, resources, training, live calls with me, live calls with special guests that we'll bring on in the future, people like Joshua. And you'll get, and then at $75 a month, you get to enter our Culture War Book Club with yours truly uh, to equip, educate, and encourage and inspire you to mobilize to be the Church of Christ uh, in the public square for righteousness. Until next week, I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. Unaborted. <laughs>